that as we have seen over the last several weeks in our study of this letter, that there were those who were specifically being very critical of Paul with all this challenging and questioning his ministry and his apostolic authority. And the church in Corinth, as we've discussed quite extensively, were ones that had received some who were calling themselves super apostles. They were elevating themselves. They were exalting themselves. They, we came, they came with much finesse and, and polished speech and great appearance, and they were considered most eminent apostles. But we know that Paul would call them false apostles and deceitful workers. And what they did is they would begin this campaign against Paul. They were saying that Paul really had no real authority. His ministry was trite. It was nothing. And so we've talked about that. And Paul is addressing that issue quite specifically here in this epistle, particularly in the last part of this letter. And as he's going to end this letter to the church in Corinth, he's going to say, I'm going to come to you in authority, in, in godly authority. But Paul, as we have seen, considered himself, again, to be a spiritual father to the saints in Corinth. He really cared about them. And even though he's being stern, he is going to remind them, once again, how he brought the gospel, the good news, to Corinth freely and humbly. Uh, he wasn't a burden to the Christians at all when he was in Corinth with them. He wasn't taken from them, unlike these so-called super apostles. You see, they were being a burden to the Christians there in Corinth. They were taken from them. They were ruling over them. They were putting them in bondage to legalism and even uh, just really being oppressive and abusive to them, as we saw in chapter 11, that these super apostles were even punching the people in the face, and they were putting up with them. They were receiving them. And Paul had come to them very much like a father who cared, very much like a father who did not want to be a burden to them. And so that's why Paul's very, being very direct and saying they're false apostles. They're bringing to you another gospel. They're bringing another Jesus to you. And whenever that you have someone who brings another gospel, folks, remember this. There's only one gospel. There's only one gospel that is proclaimed to us. And if anyone brings another gospel to you, it is a false gospel. They are a false teacher or a false prophet, whatever they claim to be, or apostle or whatever it might be. They're bringing another Jesus. If there's only one Jesus that is presented to us here in the scriptures, the true Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if somebody brings another Jesus to you, you know that they are false. And that's what Paul is trying to get them to understand. But yet, it was the congregation there in Corinth that was receiving these guys and hearing them. They were very impressed with these false apostles. And you're getting caught up with them and, and getting caught up in this attack against me. And we saw that Paul had written to them that the more abundantly that I love you guys, the less that I am loved by you. So Paul being rejected by those in Corinth, but the apostle also goes on to say, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. I know how you feel about me, Paul writes, but I'm going to continue to give to you freely for your edification. And he says in verse 15 of chapter 12 that I am very gladly are spent and going to continue to be spent for your souls. And that's kind of where we ended last week. And we ended last week seeing Paul tell the congregation at Corinth that I'm going to come to you again. And that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 13 as Paul's going to talk about him coming a third time. But he is saying that I'm going to come to you again and I fear that I shall mourn for many of you who have sinned and not repented. 
that I will not find you as I wish or the way that you should be. And so as we move into the last chapter of this letter, Paul's going to exhort them to examine themselves, to be complete, that is mature, to be of good comfort and of one mind. So let's look at the last chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, as we read in verse 1, this will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So the first time that Paul came to them, we read about that in Acts chapter 18, as I mentioned to you, as Paul was on his second missionary journey. He had started that journey in Philippi, and then he made his way southward to, uh, to Berea and Thessalonica, then to Athens, and then he would come into Corinth. And as Paul founded the church, he stayed there for a year and a half. He was making tents. That was a long time for Paul to stay in a city and minister there. In, in Thessalonica, on that second missionary journey, it is believed by some scholars that he only stayed for a few weeks there. But Paul stayed for a year and a half in Corinth, and that was a long time for Paul to stay in one place. Only one other place, city, did he stay longer. That was the city of Ephesus, where he stayed for two and a half to three years. And so Paul, he, when he wrote 1 Corinthians, he was writing in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians about how he came to them. He said, you guys remember that when I did come to you, I did not come with excellence of speech. I didn't come with persuasive words or with hum human wisdom. You see, the so-called super apostles, as we discussed, they were boasting in their speech. They were trying to impress people with persuasive words and with their appearance. And so Paul writes, when I came to you, I was determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul didn't come to Corinth standing in the streets and to persuade people with great oratory skills or excellence of speech or, you know, with, you know, this great appearance trying to attract people. He came in a demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. And he came with this singular focused message, and that was the cross. Jesus Christ and him crucified. The good news of the gospel proclaimed to you in very simple terms that Jesus loves you and he loves you so much that he came and he died for you and he has provided forgiveness of sin and eternal life as you come and surrender your heart to him. Know that he's risen from the grave. He was put into a tomb and he's alive. He conquered sin and death. And that is the message that Paul would bring to them. He didn't come trying to be flashy and fancy and, and you know, be a motivational speaker. He came with the simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you see, that's to be our message as well. I think that sometimes as believers, that we can be kind of sold a bill of goods that we cannot share or witness to others because we're not impressive enough with our speech or our appearance or I don't have the wisdom of words or I don't have excellence of speech or how am I going to be able to answer these difficult questions and stuff. And when Paul first came to them in Corinth, he gave them a real simple singular message. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The message of the cross. Again, the message was not philosophical. It wasn't about motivational living and thinking that you see so much in the church today. His message was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He is alive because He's risen from the grave. And that's what we are to be about. And I hope that encourages you because it encourages me. Because I know that I can give that real simple message to others. And so can you. 
I don't have to try to be impressive. I don't have to try to be all clever. I don't have to trust my own wisdom. I trust in the cross. I trust in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm just led by the Holy Spirit of God just to be able to share that simple message. And Paul writing says, that's what I did when I first came to you. Now, so Paul talking about when the first time that he had come to the city of Corinth to establish the church, we also know that he made a second visit, and that was a brief visit. It was a very painful visit, as you recall that we talked about when we began this epistle. It was uh, a painful visit between the writings of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And Paul says it wasn't a very fun trip. But now Paul is prepared to come a third time, and hopefully you're getting the message. And Paul quotes here from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So he is either referring to his three visits or the testimony of his associates. But the point of the quotation is to remind the Christians there at Corinth that he comes this time, and he comes more as a judge. He's coming more in his apostolic authority. He will say, I will not spare, because Paul needed to come in that way. We continue reading in verse 2, I've told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time, and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. So Paul is speaking strong words here. He wants the Corinthians to deal with their sin before he arrived, so that his visit would be less painful for them. Now, you recall that Paul's just continuing his thought as we concluded chapter 12 last time, that he was listing those sins that they were involved in, verses 20 and 21 of chapter 12. He says that there are some of you that you have contentions and there's jealousies and outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions, backbiting, whisperings, or that is gossiping uncleanness and fornication. Now again, how would you like to lead this church? This would be very difficult, all these things that are listed there, jealousies and backbiting and gossiping, and on top of that there's uncleanness and there's fornication. So when I come to you the third time, I'm going to come in my authority and I'm not going to hold back. And since you seek, verse 3, a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. When Jesus was crucified, as we read the gospel narratives, we know that as he was on the cross, that there are those who were thinking and saying that he's done in, he's weak. There were the religious leaders, others that were walking by that road because there was a road that was nearby Calvary. And there were the Romans as well. There were those who surrounded Jesus, even the thief on the cross that were mocking him. And they were saying, hey, you saved others and yet yourself you cannot save. If you're really the son of God, come down from the cross. And they thought he's done in, this is it, he's weak, and Jesus, we know, could have come down from the cross. All he had to do was speak, but it was his love for you and for me, knowing that if he did not stay on the cross, dying for his sins, that we would have no hope this morning. So Jesus stayed on that cross, and we know that Jesus willingly went to the cross for us because of our sins. And when he died on the cross for our sins, he cried out, it is finished. In other words, 
The work is done, the price has been paid. He was put into the tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. And after three days, he rose again in power. And Paul here, he's saying here, he's writing here, that there are those in the church that are saying that I am weak, but I'm gonna come back to you, and I'm gonna come back to you in authority. Paul writes, by the power of God, we are coming the third time, just as Jesus would be raised after three days. And you're going to see the power of God flowing through us, you who think that we are nothing. And you can write this and you can see and sense that Paul is being stern here. And the reason that he is being stern is because he had to. He had to make those in Corinth realize that they were being tricked and they were being deceived by these so-called super apostles that were really bringing in lies and deception and, and harm to the church. They were undermining Paul's ministry. Paul took it very, very serious. And as a father to them, he was going to come to them in boldness. He was going to come to them in truth. He was going to come to them in the power of God to bring correction and to the church at Corinth that needed it and, and before it ended up being destroyed by the work of those false apostles. And that's what Satan wanted to do because the church at Corinth was a very dynamic church. You see, Satan is going to do anything that he can to try to destroy the work of God. He's going to try to destroy or, or he's going to try to come in and really mess up a congregation, a group of Christians, your family. He'll do anything that he can. He'll try to lie, cheat, and he'll deceive and rob any kind of device that he can get in a foothold into your home, into your life personally, into this church corporately. And so Paul here is being a pastor. He's being a shepherd. Uh, and as a pastor and shepherd of this church, that he is being stern because he loved them and he cared for them and he's warning them. And I want to remind you that as a pastor and as a shepherd of this church, sometimes I will say things or make decisions that sometimes seems kind of stern. Well, why aren't we getting involved with this new movement that's going through the churches and this new move of the Spirit and all this? I'll take a look at it, and if it does not line up with what the Word of God has to say, we're going to put it aside. And we're going to continue going through the Word of God. Because the Word of God is what's going to mature you and grow you and keep us safe. There's safety in knowing God's Word. Yes, we want to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we are to be ones to be wise and discerning. And I will warn you against those things that are false. False teachers and false doctrine and deception that is out there. And believe me, it is out there. We're not just going to be open to everything and say, well, we're just going to love and we're just going to receive anybody and anything. No, we're not. Because Satan, as Paul would write, is an angel of light. And what he does, it seems like it's light at times. But we have the word of God to be able to test the spirits to see if they are true. And that's what we're commanded in scriptures. And others may be involved in it. But we need to be discerning in the day in which we're living in. And so that's what I do as a shepherd. You see, not only do I feed, but I am to guard. And I am to warn. I am to, to guard against wolves that might come into the flock. And any of you that are parents, you know that you're to do that as well. That you're to protect your children. We want to protect our children from ungodly influences. You don't just let your children just run around anywhere, do you? I'll just go, go run around and go to wherever you want to go and do whatever it is that you want to do. No, you protect them. You teach them. 
as they grow up, you raise them up in the ways of the Lord and, and, and in the admonition of the Lord. You want them to be safe. You want them to be strong and mature in the things of God. That's what we desire as parents. I know that you do. And that includes not only teaching them and feeding them but, and disciplining them, but also protecting and guarding them. You don't want ungodly influences coming into your home. You don't want them to be involved in ungodly influences. So that's what Paul was, was doing. He says, hey, these guys bring another gospel. They put you into bondage. They're ripping you off. They say that I am weak. Uh, I'm weak in Christ who reigns in power, and I will come in his strength, in his power, in his authority, and I will not spare. And then in verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So they were asking Paul, are you really an apostle? Do you really have the authority of an apostle? Those Corinthians that were challenging him and questioning him and undermining him, they, they were so puffed up, they were so full of pride, they really exalted themselves. They thought they were really something. And, and look at us, we're really religious. And Paul, we're examining him and we're being critical of him. And the apostle says, listen, you need to examine yourselves to see whether you are truly of the faith. If you're really a believer, you're finding fault with us, coming down on us, but what you need to do is really examine your own hearts. Are you in the faith? It's a very sobering question. It's one that each one of us has to answer. These Corinthians that Paul's writing to, they had been going to church. They said amen. I'm sure they sang the songs in worship. And I'm sure that Paul, as he gets right down to the point here, he says you need to examine yourselves to really see if you're truly ones that believe. Because it is not about being religious. It's not one about being smart and finesse and and, and being polished. It isn't about that at all. It's about personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There are people that go to church week after week, month after month, and they really are not saved. They go because it makes their spouse happy. Or it's because mom and dad just kind of drag me here. And they'll sit there and they'll be critical in their heart. They'll be you know, um, analyzing, they'll scrutinize, they'll be apathetic. But the question for each one of us this morning is yet, as you examine yourselves, are you in the faith? Where are you really at? Do you really believe that Jesus is your Savior because you are a sinner in need of forgiveness? That you will be eternally lost if you don't surrender to Jesus Christ that he loves you so much he died for your sins at the cross of Calvary. Do you believe that in your heart, that he was buried and three days later rose from the grave and sits at the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us? Do you believe that he is the Lord of all lords, the King of all kings, he's the creator of the universe, and he has provided for salvation for all of us and for you individually and specifically, personally? Can you say yes to that? And God who sees the heart, and just as we saw in 1 Kings in, in chapter 8 last Wednesday, as it was Solomon giving the dedication of that temple, he says, Lord, you know the depths of our hearts. You're the only one that really knows our hearts. But we can ask the question, are we truly in the faith? Examine yourselves. Examine your hearts. Present your heart to the Lord. And God who sees the heart 
Paul would write in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. That is a promise of God's word to us. If we can say, yes, I do confess, I believe in my heart, then you have the promise of eternal life. But every single one of us has to answer that question and has to examine ourselves. Religion will not save you. Your parents being a Christian will not save you. But it is you coming to that decision that I surrender to you, Jesus, and I recognize my need for you. I repent and put away my sin, and I come to you. You can have all kinds of theology that you know, but do you personally know him? Is Jesus dwelling in your heart? Examine yourself. Be like David that said, Lord, here's my heart. Search me and try me. And I pray if that means anything to someone here this morning that you would do that, even as, as the service continues on. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. He loves you. And we're going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ because he is your only hope. So the promise of God is we come to him. And then in verse 5 we continue, Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? So one of the things to remember is when we have Christ in our hearts, it will bring a conviction of sin. You know, that really is a good indication that Christ dwells in you. Do you feel a conviction of the Lord when you sin? Do you desire to please the Lord with your life? Is your heart soft towards the Lord, the things of the Lord? Do you, do you sense the voice of the Lord when he's bringing correction to you and instruction? Are you one that is teachable? You see, I think that Paul was asking them more than, are you saved? Yes, they needed to examine themselves in that. Are you even a born-again Christian? But here, he's not just talking, I think, about justification, which he is, but he's also referring to practical sanctification. Did they demonstrate that they were in the faith and that Christ was in them by obeying his will? To stand the test was to do what was right. To fail was to continue to walk in disobedience with no regard to God's correction. Don't get wrapped up into judging others by worldly standards, he's writing, and that's what they were doing. Hey, look at their speaking skills. Let's judge them on their appearance. Let's look how successful they are. Let's look at their prestige, their, their prominence, their, their, their worldly wisdom. But Paul comes right back and he says, you got it all wrong. He says, examine yourselves. And as they would, hopefully they would realize their errors and repent and know that Paul was called by the Lord, ministering in the authority and power of the Lord. He writes in verse 6, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. You will recognize the truth of the calling that God has put on our lives as you examine yourselves, you puffed up Corinthians. You think you know so much, and you will see that we are not disqualified. Look at us and see how Christ dwells in us and gives guidance to us. And now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. Don't do this continuing, challenging, and, and rebelling. Don't do this evil. Not that we should appear approved, not for our sake, but for your sake, that you will do what is right, even if you don't approve our ministry and believe in us personally. I still hope that you will do what is right in the sight of the Lord. 
And verse 8, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Everything that Paul declared to them was truth, wasn't it? You can't do anything against the truth. Paul had learned that he was powerless against the truth. He experienced that on the road to Damascus, didn't he, in Acts chapter 9. That's what he was taught, that truth will prevail. You can't do anything against the truth. None of us are above the truth. That's why when I share truth with someone, and when you share truth with someone, we don't have to be ashamed of it. We don't have to apologize for it. We don't have to feel bad when people argue against it. They cannot do anything against the truth. And I've come to realize that what I am to do is spend my time declaring truth, the truth of God's word to others. And that's what's going to benefit them. That's what's going to help them. That's what's going to bring salvation to them, the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel. And pray that they would be open to the truth. And verse 9, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. So Paul's heart really is reflected here as he says, we pray for you that you may be made complete. If you have a King James, it reads made perfect. Not that you will, will be perfect, but that you're maturing in Christ. That you're going to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. That you're desiring to walk in obedience to him. Now, one of the things that we have seen very clearly as we've gone through this epistle of 2 Corinthians, and even when we went through 1 Corinthians, and I've touched on it already, that the Corinthian congregation was not the easiest church for Paul to minister to. They were ones that were holding them out at arm's length. They were a divided church, as we saw in 1 Corinthians. There were all kinds of divisions and backbiting that was going on in the church. They were a very carnal church. Paul would write to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that I cannot speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, they are all mixed up in their doctrine. They were suing each other. They couldn't do a potluck right. They struggled with immorality. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul spent much of his time writing to defend his ministry against those who were challenging him and hurling all these accusations against him. His last visit to them was very difficult. It was very painful. It brought grief to Paul. And he says here, I'm praying for you. Not that God's judgment will come down on you, and I think we need to pause and stop there for a moment. Paul is not saying, I hope you get what you deserve. Because I've put a lot of time and effort into you guys. I've stayed a long time in Corinth, longer than any other place besides Ephesus, and all you've been is a real problem for me. And I'm tired of dealing with you guys. And I know that I'll speak for myself, that if I'm not careful, that can be my heart. If I have someone or someones that have been challenging me, challenging my ministry, my responsibility as the pastor of this church, and I have had those who have done that, every single pastor goes through it. Maybe they will criticize me, come down on me, begin a whispering campaign against me, and I can have the tendency to say, God, breathe down fire on them, consume them. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. And then I have to examine myself and realize whoever it is that may be just a bit difficult. 
that I am to pray not for their destruction, but, Lord, that they would come into repentance and there be restoration, but also that there be a maturing, a completeness in the Lord, that they would do well in the things of Christ. They would come and walk in maturity. Paul is saying here that this is why I'm writing to you, not to tell you that I hope you get wiped out and done in, It would have been very easy for Paul to fall into that mentality. But my desire is that you would do well in the Lord for your edification. Yes, this letter that I'm writing to you is is a difficult, straightforward, very stern letter. But I'm doing it because I care for you guys. And the only way that I know that Paul could have that kind of heart for for those kinds of people that, that he was doing it And saying this truly from his heart because he was one that had prayed for them continually and constantly. When you want someone to get wiped out because they've done you wrong or had a whispering campaign against you at work or in your family or the neighbors, whatever it might be, and the natural tendency for us is, you know, to to see them be trashed or, or, Lord, you get them, you know, fire and brimstone kind of thing. What we are to do is stop. And the only thing that I can think to really tell you is to pray for them. That, Lord, that there would be repentance. That, Lord, you deal with their hearts. That there would be restoration. And you pray God's blessing upon their lives, that they would mature in the Lord, be made complete. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Don't curse them. Because when you pray for your enemies, see, the people that bug you and irritate you, when you pray for them, your heart begins to change for them. And you'll find yourself not being hostile or bitter or mad towards them, which is going to hold you in bondage. But what you're to do is be praying for them. And when you pray for people, you will find your heart desiring their completeness in Christ for them to do well in the things of Christ. You want what is best for them in the Lord. It's something that's just supernaturally that the Lord is working in you. It's a little bit what we talked about as Paul would write to them, that the more I love you guys, the less I'm loved by you, and God wants to teach us and work that love in us. So Paul was one that was not only preaching to them, but he would pray for them. And at times in this letter, yes, the tone is harsh. He didn't hold back. He is honest and straightforward. But we see his heart towards the Corinthians, and it's the heart of a father who desires for them to be complete and mature in the Lord. And the reason is, is he prayed for them continually. It reminds me so much of Moses of the Old Testament. I mean, think about his ministry. He experienced the murmuring and complaining of the people of Israel. And he had a whole lot more people to deal with than Paul did in Corinth. It was Moses that had a congregation of two and a half million people that were always challenging him and blaming him. And you know the story of Moses. At times they wanted to kill Moses. And and Moses, why did you bring us out here? And they would have votes. You know, the congregational vote of whether we should get rid of Moses. And a vote would be two and a half million to nothing. And yet Moses, after the children of Israel sinned and danced nakedly around the golden calf, God said to Moses up on that mountain, Moses, stand back because I'm going to wipe them out and I'll make a great nation out of your descendants, Moses. And here was Moses that not long before that was on the mountain when God called him to go free the children of Israel out of Egypt. There was Moses that said, send somebody else. I don't want to go. Who am I to go? 
that all of a sudden, when he had a chance to step aside and say, okay, Lord, go ahead and consume them, because Father Moses sounds really good right now. And they've been complaining and murmuring. They've seen the miracles. They've seen your provision, and they've come against me. But Paul, that it was Moses that didn't step aside. He pleaded with the Lord, and he said, Lord, don't. Remember your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would be the father of a great nation and let them, the people, see your goodness and don't let the other nations just think that you brought them out here in the wilderness to consume them, forgive them. And Moses was up on that mountain interceding and saying, forgive them if not blot me out of the book of life. And to me, that's absolutely remarkable. And I believe that Moses was able to do that because he prayed for the people of Israel and God did a supernatural work in his heart. God worked his love in Moses' heart for the people, even though they continually murmured against Moses. So Paul says that we pray that you would be made complete. And verse 10, therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Paul wanted them to heed what he had written to them and, and then examine themselves and have them confess and repent on their own rather than having to confront them. He wanted to edify their faith rather than to tear down their faults. In verse 11, finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So Paul here just, is just concluding this exhortation, his final comments. Finally, brethren, he didn't say, you rebels, you know, you're a bunch of flakes. Uh, you guys, I'm done with you. He finally says, as he sums it up, he says, brethren, a, a, a term of endearment, brethren, farewell. Be complete. More than anything, Paul wanted them to do well in the Lord. He wanted them to mature in the Lord. He wanted them to be used of the Lord, to be truly a light shining in a city that was so dark, where idols were honored and worship, where immorality was accepted. Paul says, be complete. Allow the Lord to do that restorative work in you. Walk in a right relationship with God and with each other. That is what Paul wanted for them to really experience the riches that are found in Christ, the blessings that are found in Him, to, to come to a point to surrender and submit totally to the Lord, to be strong and established in Christ. That's what He wanted for them. And I know that as a pastor, that's what I desire for every single one of us that are here. You see, not only do I desire and have a heart to see people get saved, come to the saving knowledge of the crucified and buried and resurrected Jesus, but also my heart desire most definitely is that you would come to completeness, that all of us, that we would mature in the Lord, that we would grow in the Lord, because I know what happens to Christians that are not becoming complete in the Lord. They are not perfecting themselves in Christ. They're not maturing the Lord. I see Christians that are struggling. And they are weak spiritually. And they get tossed to and fro. They're not established. The pressures and the problems of the world begin to take a real heavy toll on them. They don't experience the peace of God. There's no joy in their hearts. 
Those who are not growing in the Lord oftentimes are confused and struggle with sin and given in to temptation. There are some of those things that, that we experience when we're not desiring to be complete in the Lord. That's what happens. And the Father wants to do so much in our lives. Do you know that? He wants us to experience His peace. He wants us to live in His love. He wants us to, to just experience His strength in our weaknesses. And when we're not looking to Him, when we're not looking to grow in the Word of God and to stand on His promises and to be obedient to Him, then we miss out on those things and we end up struggling big time spiritually. Just as what was happening to these Corinthians that Paul is writing to. Jesus on that hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He would say, be ye perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I first read that, I thought, be perfect? How can I do that? How can I be perfect? And you see, that's the point. We can't do it in and of ourselves. Jesus later on would say, without me, you can do nothing. You see, there's two ways that you can try to go about by being mature, complete in the Lord, being perfected in the Lord. You can say, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do it and grip my teeth. I'm going to be a moral individual. I'm going to do all these things. And you try to do it in your own energies, your own struggles, your own strength. And it might work for a little bit. I'm going to see and, and, and I'm going to have people see that I'm so righteous, perfect, complete. You know, the religious leaders of Jesus' day did that. They had their phylacteries and their traditions and they fasted and they would even tithe of their herbs in the garden. They said these long prayers. They were always at the synagogue. They had all these ceremonies and washings that they did and rules and regulations that they stuck to. And Jesus said, for I say, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of those scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'm sure that those disciples and others that heard Jesus say that, they, they were probably thinking, how can that be? How can that be? How can I be more righteous than a Pharisee? Look at them. Look how righteous they are with their phylacteries and their long robes and, and how they give and how they fast and how they pray. But you see, Jesus began to talk about the heart, didn't he? And the heart needs to be right. It's not external, but it's internal. You can center your life around trying to be religious, but if you are doing that in your own energies, then you're not going to be right with the Lord. It comes as you just yield to the Lord. As you just go to the Lord and surrender. You see, it's not just acting out the law externally is primarily the lawgiver living in us, writing the law on the tablets of our hearts, working His holiness and righteousness in us, and you enjoy the Lord. Do you enjoy the Lord this morning? Are you enjoying the riches that He has for you? Are you really enjoying life the way it was meant to be enjoyed? Are you maturing in Him? Don't miss out. My prayer is that you will be made complete in Him, allowing Him to show Himself strong in your behalf as He works through you in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill you with His love. He wants to fill you with His grace. 
Paul goes on to say, be of good comfort. Paul began this epistle by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. He's the one that will bring true and lasting comfort to us. Paul says, be of one mind. And as he says, be of one mind, he would write to the Philippian church, this is how you be of one mind, that you look out not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others. You Corinthians, that you're just backbiting and gossiping and full of contentions. Do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, look, you know, esteem others better than yourself and looking out not only for your own interests, but the interests of others. That's how you to be of one mind. You live in peace because you have peace with God, but have peace with other brothers and sisters. So they were working strife and they had hostilities and divisions. And Paul says, that, no, that wouldn't be of you. You'd be of one mind, living in peace, come to completion in the Lord. And then verse 11 again, and the God of love and peace will be with you and greet one another with a holy kiss. So of course in the Greek culture, as Paul's ending this epistle, they would greet each other with a holy kiss. It's still that way in, in much of the Middle East. I'll be honest with you guys. I would prefer just to be greeted with a, you know, a good strong handshake, you know. I think that, you know, greet one another with a good handshake would do no damage to the text at all. So, and all the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Paul puts down his pen, and that's the epistle, the letter of 2 Corinthians. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for this incredible study that we've gone through. And Lord, just what we've read in this book and what we've learned and gleaned. And Father, a very sobering question that all of us have to answer is we examine ourselves. Are we in Christ truly? Are we in the faith? Lord, doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we've come to full maturity. It means that, that we just surrender our hearts to you, knowing that we need you, Lord, to do that work in us, to bring us to completeness, to experience the blessings and riches of Christ, to experience salvation in a full orb of God's blessing of peace and joy and strength and comfort. Lord, I pray that as this morning we were told to examine ourselves right now, we want to just give anyone an opportunity that as they examine themselves, they realize that maybe it's been about religion or maybe it's been about rebellion. But there is one gospel and it's simply this, that we have all sinned. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, God in the person of Jesus Christ came to this world freely. And he humbled himself and he allowed himself to be pinned to that cross because he knew that there's no other salvation. But for him, the perfect Lamb of God who went to Calvary and died in place of you and for you and all of your sins were placed upon him. He became the sacrifice for you because of his love for you. And Father, I just pray that, that you would touch the heart of one who knows that they need you, that you would soften their heart and draw them to yourself. 
and know that Jesus Christ did it because of his love for you, going to Calvary's cross. He was put into a grave and he rose from the grave and he's alive and he's knocking on the door of your heart. You're the one that has to open up your heart to him. I pray that you would do that this morning. And if that's your desire, because you know that there's no other salvation, that that truly he is Lord, that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself, don't resist that. Open your heart to him. Come. It isn't about being religious. It isn't about trying harder. It isn't about going to church. It's about you surrendering your heart to Jesus Christ at this time and coming to salvation, believing that Jesus Christ is Lord and confessing with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. You can pray right where you're sitting. Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and I repent now. That is, I turn to you and I surrender to you. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on Calvary's cross for me and that you're alive right now. You're alive in my heart. I surrender to you. I submit to you. I acknowledge you as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.